Good morning and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian Church. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. We are located in beautiful Uptown Columbus on the corner of 11th and 1st. We would love for you to join us for worship or just stop by and say hello. At First Presbyterian Church, we welcome you with grace and gratitude for God's love. The first lesson is from Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 6. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will appear over you. Nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look around. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from far away, and your daughters shall be carried on their nurses' arms. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and rejoice, because the abundance of the sea shall be brought to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense, and shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second lesson is taken from Matthew's Gospel. This is Matthew's account of the birth of Christ. We are in the second chapter. We'll be reading chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Listen for the word of the Lord. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it had been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for this child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house... They saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. 
This is the word of the Lord. So, Happy New Year again, 2019. It is here and we are in it. Uh, you may look around and say, uh, Preacher, did y'all forget to take down all of the Christmas decorations? Aren't we several weeks past that? Well, yes and no. We are certainly past the celebration on December 25th where we celebrate that Christ was born. But in this account, in Matthew's account, the wise men... The Magi, the kings, were not there at the birth of Jesus. They were not there at the stable. And so they get there later. And so what we mark by waiting until January 6th, these 12 days of Christmas, is the time that it took the, the, the Magi to finally get to the newborn Christ. So this is our last Sunday that we will have our wreath lit, and our Christmas drapings adorning the church. But it is because today is the completion of the whole birth narrative, story, and celebration. Today it is about the magi, the wise men, and them finally getting to the baby Jesus. Now, let's take a step back. What do we know about these magi? Debbie talked a little bit about them. We don't know that they were kings. They, we do know that they are at least educated because we know that they had studied some of the Jewish and Hebrew scripture, which helped facilitate their journey. So wise is accurate. The other term is magi. That is a word that tells us that they were astrologers, or sorcerers, or fortune tellers, generally people that the Torah says to stay away from. The word is only used one other time in the New Testament, and that's Paul, who uses it in the book of Acts. And one of these magi, the same word is used, except it's magus for one, magi is plural form, elymus, E-L-Y-M-U-S, is a magus. And Paul comes up to him and says, I quote in Acts 13, 10, you are a child of the devil and an enemy for all that is right. You are filled with deceit and treacher trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? No words minced there. Paul calls this magist, this magi, and says, you are a child of the devil. And we have three of them that God chose to come meet the young infant Christ. They were not of the house of Israel. They were from the east, maybe Persian or Babylonian. Astrologers, again, maybe sorcerers. We don't know for sure. But what they saw and what they read and understood compelled them to start this journey. So there are two things that led them to start their journey. One is that they knew the Scripture and what to look for. They knew the Hebrew Bible. They knew the Scripture of the people that inhabited this region. So they knew God's word in that capacity, even if on an academic level. 
The second part is that they had an experience. They saw this star and they followed. So it's those two pieces together that led these magi to seek out the baby Jesus, this new Messiah. They knew from Scripture what to look for, and then they had an experience. Often in our lives, if we focus on one or the other, we are only getting half of the way God is trying to communicate with us. We can lock ourselves in a room and memorize the Bible and study it every day, but if we are not trying to live it, practice it, and encounter the risen Christ in our everyday world, we are missing what that cannot provide. On the other end, if we are just seeking Christ in our every day and hoping to stumble into experiences and relationships that we can look back on and say, well, that's got to be God working and Christ present, then we are missing God's word of instruction and inspiration and challenge and understanding and revelation as a part of that. It takes both of those together. Our understanding of Scripture and our experience of the risen Christ in our lives every day. Both of those together led them to this house. So how long between the time Jesus was born and when they got there? Well, we don't know. We were thinking two years or under, so Jesus could have been a toddler by the time they got there, or maybe under that time. How do we guess that? Well, when Herod decides to go crazy because he's being threatened already by this new king of the Jews, and after he knows he's been thwarted, he sends out his soldiers to wipe out all of the two-year-old and under boys in Bethlehem trying to get to Christ, this new Messiah. So we think Jesus was 10 years or under. And they don't find him in a stable. These wise men were never at the stable. They find him in a house. Whose house? We don't know. But a little bit different from the whole manger scene. And it's okay for us to put our wise men at the stable Uh, For our nativity scenes, we just need to know that there's a difference between Luke's account with shepherds and angels and Matthew's, which we're doing today, the star and the wise men. So the wise men read, experience, and decide to follow. They could have read and understood. They could have seen this star beckoning to them, and they could have said, oh, that is amazing. Let's go. Or let's stay. Let's not do anything. Yep, it looks like those two things are aligned exactly neat and not done anything. But they decided to follow, investigate, seek where this word and this experience might be leading them into the presence of this Messiah. They sought him. So in that process, and we don't know that there were three. Could have been ten, there could have been one. They could have all chipped in on those three nice gifts Or again, it could have been one very wealthy person, but probably plural. So they finally get there, and where do they go first? Because what are they looking for? The king of the Jews. The king of the Jews. They don't say Messiah. They say king of the Jews. Where do you go to look for a king? 
the palace, the royal palace. So they go to where Herod is. Herod is a bad guy. He is partially Jewish, and because he's not fully Jewish, a lot of the house of Israel does not respect him as their leader. He is the puppet king of Rome who occupies that region. He has killed his own wife, mother-in-law, three male children, his uncle and others. Anybody that was a threat to his throne, anybody that could possibly harm or uh, uh, usurp his leadership and his rule in any way, gone. Which is evidence when he goes crazy and tells his soldiers to wipe out all the two-year-old and under boys in Bethlehem. So the wise men go to where they probably is logical for them to look for a king. Um, hey, excuse me, uh, do you know where we can find the newly born king of the Jews? Uh, king of the Jews right here, Herod, I am the king of the Jews. What is this infant you speak of? And immediately it sets up what will eventually get Jesus killed. Herod calls the scribes and the Pharisees together and says, guess what I heard? There's a new king of the Jews. They even know from Persia, Babylon, wherever they came from in the east, and they're coming to meet and pay homage to him. Already it's a threat to the leadership of the day. In his birth begins his death. In his birth, the threatening the powers that be begins here. So uh, the wise men say, well, we, we, don't, we don't know. Have you seen him? Well, no. Um, if you see him, let me know, Herod says. I would like to pay homage to him, wink, wink. And the wise men say, okay, we'll, we'll go see what we can find. And again, the star goes and stops on the house where they are, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. Now, I've seen a lot of attempts to try to explain this as uh, supernovas or comets or an aligning of the planets of Jupiter and Saturn or whatever to describe what had happened, and that's fine. Science and faith are not exclusive of each other. They are intertwined. Science is really our starting to figure out what God does in acts of creation and everyday living. But what's different than a supernova or a comet or an alignment of the planets is that the star stopped over the house. Can't mistake that. That is intentionality. That is God saying, here. They can't miss it. So they go to the house. They find the Christ child, and they give him these three gifts. Again, why we think there were three, gold, frankincense, and that is going to mess me up the rest of my life. I'm going to say Frankenstein in my head. Frankincense and myrrh, and Debbie was right on. You have gold fit for a king. You have frankincense, and incense is in that word, which lets you know that it was used for worship of that day and in other rituals, and the myrrh often used... Uh, in embalming or other uh, um, ways to treat and dress the body. Both frankincense and myrrh were gum resins from trees and shrubs, uh, but very costly, very expensive, and not in that region. So fancy outside gifts brought to this king. 
So again, why these three? What, what in the world was God doing? They were not of the house of Israel. They were people that the Torah, the Old Testament, their Hebrew Bible had already said were to be stayed away from, considered unclean, not worthy of our relationship. Paul later on, which I already shared, said, you are a child of the devil. God chooses three of them to come into the presence of Christ and pay him homage. They are Gentiles, what we would call pagans, which is mostly all of our history if we don't have Jewish history. They were not believers. Were they converted in that moment? Did they go home and start some new branch or sect for what they had seen? We don't know that, but it would be fascinating to study and try to figure that out. How were they changed by being in the presence of Christ? So they made this deal with Herod. Yeah, we'll tell you when we find him. They find him, and then a vision comes to them and says, don't go back to Herod. Go home another way. And they went home another way, literally, physically, and metaphorically. Different than they came. They had seen, they had understood. Something amazing had happened, and they experienced it. And now they took all that home. What they did with that, I would love to know. So on this Epiphany Sunday, Epiphany, a Greek word that means a manifestation of God. In the old times, not just Judeo-Christian history, but Greco-Roman, uh, all of their gods, if you experienced a God, you would have an Epiphany. Uh, it has come to mean, you know, good ideas or some kind of understanding, light bulb over you. I've just had an Epiphany. But originally it was being in the presence of God. And the star is that miracle in Matthew's account that brings these wise men to Christ. And so it is the star that was the vehicle, this light, that brought them to the child of light. All through Advent, light and darkness are a theme. And it culminates in the star symbolizing this great light, Again, that brought these three into the presence of Christ. Great preacher, what do you want from me? It's this. As we begin our new calendar year together, as we begin to pick up back into our church routine and our lives, get back to school, get back to work, we are called to be children of this light we are called to find those stars that are leading us to Christ. What is it that brings us into the presence of Christ? Hopefully it's the church, maybe it's family, maybe it's friends, but it should also be outside of church. Often I think we fear this light and we put spiritual blindfolds on ourselves because we're afraid of what that light means for us. Is it going to change us? Going to make me one of those Jesus freaks? Do I have to wear a burlap sack, sell my house, and live in a box? No. But it will mean transformation. And it will mean a new existence. And it will mean that we finally find that purpose, that meaning that is above just our status quo lives, even though they are wonderful and a gift. 
One quick example. If you have Netflix, or even if you don't, you may have recently heard about uh, a film that was produced in-house by Netflix, the, the online uh, um, live streaming service that gives you both old movies and old uh, television programs. They do some of their own programming. And in this case, it's a movie called The Bird Box with Sandra Bullock. That's been getting a lot of buzz. It's only started being streamed since the 21st of December. We're, what, 16 days from that, a little over two weeks? And, and it's exploding a little bit, and let me explain it to you. So it's, it's not necessarily a warm and fuzzy movie. It is post-apocalyptic. So what made it apocalyptic? Well, there are supernatural beings that if you look at them, it prompts you to go out and end your life almost immediately in whatever way that you can after you see these beings. So Sandra Bullock, you know, the world is starting to, to die off and kill itself off, and they start to figure out, they, they get together with other survivors at this point, and they start to think if they don't look at these supernatural beings, it can't harm them. It doesn't physically touch them. It may try to trick them in, taking, in looking at it, but, but if you don't look at it, you are safe. So they black out their windows. They don't go outside. But sooner or later, you need supplies. You need food. You want to try to find other people. So one of the things uh, that they do is try to get to the grocery store. They block out and they're in their car. They block out the windows, and they're trying to navigate with just the technology in the car and the GPS to try to get to the store. But the biggest piece of this is that they hear that there's a community of survivors down the river. And so Sandra Bullock and her two children put on blindfolds because it is the only defense. And so for the next 48-some hours, you track them as they go through the woods and through the river completely blindfolded, completely in the dark, no guidance, no leadership to try to find this other community. I won't spoil the ending for you. It is as you think it would be. Some like it, some don't. But the piece that stood out to me, oh, and, and the, the kind of this internet sensation is that Netflix paired with an Australian online company for the Bird Box Challenge. And they, they got a bunch of um, game players together in a room, and they blindfolded them and challenged them to play their video games blindfolded. And from there, it kind of took on a life of itself, and now there are all kinds of uh, videos, memes, online things where people are trying to do things blindfolded just to see what they can do in their everyday life. Uh, Netflix put out a statement. I will add my own. Do not do things blindfolded. You will hurt yourself or someone else, possibly me. But so it's becoming this blindfolded activity, this blindfolded thing that, again, you may see online. Now you have all the information you need. But when we were looking at this, I thought to myself that we blindfold ourselves spiritually often because we fear the light of Christ. We do it to ourselves, and in doing so, we make sure we keep our life at status quo. And sometimes status quo is comfortable. We know status quo because we know where we've been. We know 
what is happening, less surprises in status quo, but what we miss when we have the courage and the faith to take off those spiritual blindfolds is to allow this light to penetrate us, this light of Christ, give us this transformation to see our purpose for why God created us in the first place. We are missing the joy, we are missing the challenge, we are missing the inspiration, we are missing the meaning and the purpose if we keep ourselves blindfolded spiritually. And we may not often know that we are blindfolded. Things are generally moving along okay. Well, I'm, I'm okay, I can kind of, I've got it kind of covered mostly on my own. We're blindfolding ourselves and we are missing it. This is a new opportunity to start again, this first Sunday of the new year. So let us be reminded from the star, that vehicle that God gave to the wise men to lead them to Christ. Let us have the courage to open ourselves and be vulnerable to take this light in so we can then take it to the world. I want us now to practice. I'm giving you one tangible, hands-on way to focus in the new year on this new light of Christ as today on Epiphany we see it manifest in the star. Uh, ushers, please come forward. Um, there are plates coming down your row, and in them are yellow stars. Each yellow star has a word, and this year, 2019, everyone please take one. If your partner, family member uh, are not here, go ahead and take them one as well. And the idea is, uh, these are relatively random but positive words, and the idea is to take this and to keep it. Uh, did this in my last church the last few years. I have several that I keep on my computer base in my office. It's fun to go to people's houses and see them on a magnet on their refrigerator, on their, in their car, or wherever you keep it, keep it. It's one word. How is God communicating with you in 2019 through this word? I have no idea. It might even be silly. It might say, be ridiculous. One year, uh, an older man had one that said birthing. Birthing? How in the world? Well, it turned out later in the year that that, in fact, was the case, but not in the way that you're thinking. So the idea is, again, that you keep it, and as you live through this year seeking Christ as the wise men did, you keep this word as a focus for how God is communicating through you. One year, I had a guy get all the way through the year until December and said, none of that mattered until the last month of the year, and then it did and took on a whole new way and understanding for me. So just one tangible way that we focus on Epiphany, this star and this word, whatever it is. Take the one you've got, can't put it back, no changing. The one you have is the one you were meant to have. What it means for you you need to open yourself, seek that light of Christ, and live with this word. So then let us go forward as God's people, also seeking him, focusing on Scripture and our experiences in life that will put us in the presence of Christ. And let us have the courage to take off our spiritual blindfolds, 
to fully welcome him into our lives, that we would be transformed and then take this light out into the world. Hallelujah. Amen.